0: do. Uh I know Ender had to squeeze in a couple of things with the the family and that. Let's uh he's unfortunately we can't uh can't choose our friends. He's a New South Welshman. So yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> so,
1: not to. where are you from? Are you Victorian?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm Victor- yeah. I'm Victorian as as well. So I'm down okay, here cool. on the, the Mornington Mornington Peninsula.
1: Oh
0: yeah, okay. So cool. yeah. Yeah, we've got we've got a couple of uh, couple of interesting seats down here which we might even might even touch upon. We'll we'll see how we uh we'll see how we go on that.
1: Yeah,
0: okay. uh, but look, I, I tell you what, let's uh, let's let's hook into it. Uh so we'll get it we'll get it started. Uh will pop in shortly. So look, it's Sunday, twentieth of November, two thousand and twenty-two. Uh you're joining us for a special edition of uh Talking Ospol uh sorry just in uh, new posts my apologies um you're joining us for a special edition of talking Poll campaign check-in at number uh number four in fact this is possibly the last, this will be the last one before the elections in victoria so what I want to uh, start off with was the was was concentrating on Victoria that's the purpose of the campaign check-in though we will be getting on to some other other topics look so far uh we're getting down to we're, we're really getting down to the the pointy end of the uh elections we've got uh Well, there's been a few things here We've had both Daniel Andrews and Matthew Guy being referred to the state's anti-corruption watchdog uh, The Independent Broad-Based Anti-Corruption Commission We've got the Teals winning their case with the Victorian Electoral Commission over blank how-to-vote cards We've got Andrews getting raked over the coals about conspiracy theories over him falling down steps last year And a car crash involving his wife Uh, We've got Glenn Drury, the preference whisperer, who is in the news with the Animal Justice Party switching its allegiances and going against negotiated preferences. And him and the Angry Victorians Party leaking videos where Drury revealed that deals with the CFMEU ensured that Labor preferences uh, to minor parties above the Greens in the previous elections uh, meant the Greens subsequently lost four seats. And we've got... uh, We've got attack ads, so there's there's plenty there's plenty on the plate this this week. Uh, when we get to this point, it tends to get a bit down and bit down and dirty. Uh, what has been your impressions so far of of what you've seen this week and how the campaign's going? Danger.
1: Um, well, well, it's interesting to use the expression "down and dirty" because you know we've led a pretty long life. I I honestly can't remember a campaign that's been as um, Muck as muck raking as this one, to tell you the truth. Um, yeah. It seems also from both both sides or both main parties, with the poor old green stuck in the middle, um, particularly with Glenn Glen Jury stuff. But um, they have been throwing. It's just a daily occurrence. They're throwing. They're, it's like they've been timing all of these for the last one week, two weeks. Um, and it's not just the general run of the mill muckraking. They're dragging the Liberals, are obviously, dragging stuff up from you know any erupted a decade ago, I think, for the car crash. Yeah. Um, and it's it's also when I talk about how dirty it is, like it's interesting because um, quite often they throw dirt, but this one involves our um, IBAC and uh, the electoral roll investigation, and it's involved other parties as well. Like it seems to be a, yes. a real battle a battle of credibility. It's it's um there's a number of issues they could have fought this election on and both parties seem to have agreed on credibility. And they've had their ammo ready to go for ages. It's it's fascinating, I reckon, at the moment. Absolutely fascinating. Um, Look yeah, go on. Oh, look, I was going to say, the simple version from the Liberal point of view would probably be, I think they heard with getting Matthew Guy back in, I think Michael O'Brien, who's a bit of a wet blanket, but if it had have come down to a credibility issue, wouldn't have suffered from the same uh, troubles that Guy's currently having. And I think uh, (laughs) that change of leadership's uh, made it far more difficult for uh, Liberal to win on on an issue of credibility, because Guy carries his own baggage. And he's been reminded of it quite, quite regularly. I would have said, uh, not that it, I, it, I, yeah, yeah we've. Right.
0: It's it's funny. We've had the uh, we've discussed previously when i uh, discussed it with Apricot about uh, about Guy, and uh, neither of us have got uh, particularly well. <laughs> neither of us have got particularly flattering. Um, opinions of him as his his leadership. But that's interesting what you say about the baggage.
1: Well, it's a really funny one. I actually discussed that with my local Liberal member, you know, and I was having a good old chat to her about a month ago, uh, Raymond Britnell. But um, when I got to the issue of how on earth did you, did you get around to deciding to go again with Guy, um, I got a, a mostly silent response. Obviously, I think she must uh. have supported him. Um but but Guy's been a it's a, a terrible choice. It's made it borderline unwinnable for for the Liberals from way out. As much as we thought Michael O'Brien couldn't have won it, had we have got to this stage now where it was just a pure credibility fight, I, I think he would have stood a better chance, personally.
0: Oh, and, that's an interesting that's that's an interesting comment. I, I, um, I, I feel like he's I feel like Guy is as you said, he's he's just not standing up up to it, if they had had someone like O'Brien in there, maybe that would have given them a bit more of an edge.
1: Well, I I say that on the theory of of the governments get voted out rather than in. And so um, to a certain degree you can take someone in who's – I think Andrew's just really quite on the nose. And I know I'm talking to a a sub that – you know he's got an enormous amount of supporters on here, but if you if you monitor the Melbourne sub as well, which I'm, I'm sure you do, um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners do. Yep. I reckon yep. there's been a significant mood change on Andrews in the last six months, and it's not to do with coronavirus. Um, there's a, there's been a number of different things where I think um, I don't think people are as supportive of him. This is despite despite polling. I mean, yes, the polls at stages of uh, held him up quite well. Mm. Um, I don't credit them as being accurate. Uh, I think people are tiring of him and mm. his personality. and I think a more neutral uh, leader of the Liberal party could have uh, possibly benefited
0: from that. Yeah, that... look, I think playing playing back and back and forth and on what might have happened. Yeah, I, I tend to uh, agree with you on that. It's interesting that you uh said that, that you know people are getting a, a bit sick of Andrews as a, a personality and that you're you're picking that up. I mean I, I, I'm still firmly of the opinion that he's going to readily get across the, 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 the line. line.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we, we yeah. all know that, but I mean some of the some of the material coming through from some of the pollsters tend to suggest, like they are, Labor is significantly concerned about um, hung parliament, which which uh, six to eight months ago, he was meant to be, we were meant to have another dance slide. His polling was uh, yeah. absolutely no concerns whatsoever. Um, now, none of us will know till this time next week, but if it gets to the stage where they've got a hung parliament, then there has been an enormous drop in over the last... I'm so, I'm calling around six to eight months personally. I think the yep. first real signs of it, particularly on the on the Melbourne sub and the Greens voters, were his um, anti-protest laws for the logging. That went down like a proverbial shit in a wetsuit, and um, they <laughs> were not. <laughs> it really lost him um, the the sort of the green credibility, any of that that he had left, in my opinion um it, it was just a very very unpopular piece of uh proposed legislation at the time they, yeah, they I were... think
0: look for, for optics uh, which are and where i um, <coughs> excuse me for optics uh which is uh, particularly so strong nowadays with the the way that uh, that the social media and the strong visual medium of um uh, the 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 election environments that we're in nowadays, to have something like that—that's just the type of thing that somebody can can see as an example. It gets presented the right way, whether it's in a meme or a you know a, a well written blog post or or even article, and they can flick and say, no, that's the last straw. I'm going over to the Greens now because yeah. I don't want this to to happen." And it doesn't necessarily need to have any particularly in depth analysis of it, uh, if the optics are bad, you can lose voters just like that.
1: Oh, correct. Um, but look, there's probably, if we touch on the jury stuff later on, yeah, there yeah. is, there's a, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, if the Greens have been the main losers out of what drury has been doing for the last few election cycles, you know, anywhere up to three or four seats, the is, then quite obviously, we live in a greener state than um What's presented in our parliament, and and they, they, it was a, they weren't happy with that bit of legislation. I, I think he's I think he's on the a bit of a slide personally. I, they, I reckon they'll get across the line next week, but but mind you, um, I should, just for transparency, um, you know, like I'm known on the sub as one of his main detractors. Yep. Uh, I've tried to point out to a number of users that that I have not voted. Uh, LNP at all statewide once this century. My uh, my main ethos in voting and in politics, particularly mm-hmm. statewise, is I'm a um, a big proponent of regionalisation or decentralisation. And Andrew's, I was pre-Covid, I've been onto them. I, I don't like the way that they're the way the state's going in relation to that, nor the country, mind you. I think we're, we live in a daft country where 50% of our population lives in three main uh, cities. And yep. um, so so I just want to just let anyone who is listening in know, despite that I get uh, nominated as a shill, I voted for <laughs> Daniel Andrews the last, specifically for Labor, the last two um, election cycles, despite being his, Probably biggest attract <laughs> this <laughs> <side> of the <laughs> state. Because we're we're desperate to be marginal. I mean, he's the it is a government that knows where the votes are and, and that's where the money goes. And we have suffered yep. significantly from that. I'm not sure how down in the morning to you feel about that.
0: Well, um, it's 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 interesting you, you say that. You're you, from what you're saying, you're you're further up north in Victoria, so more No, I'm more...
1: southwest coast. I'm
0: Oh oh okay right yeah. southwest coast ward okay so you know that's classed as uh, it's a classed as rural or semi-rural where you are
1: oh well we're i'm not sure but uh, I, mean, I know I know 4, Warden, Warden. yeah it's a decent um, it's a
0: decent decent size but um, in terms of the classifications for the for the state and the reason that I say that is you said how is it down here on the mornington peninsula there's currently a uh, a push to get us uh, declared as, well, there's a new term that's come Perry up with. Right. Peri-regional. So,
2: Peri-regional.
1: Yeah. I, I listened in last week, or was it last week or the week before, with your local independent member saying about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Look, and that, yeah, that would have a, been a huge issue for you during... Um, Coronavirus.
0: Oh, I cannot tell you how huge, how huge well, an issue it was for for me. It it did my head in, and I wasn't the only. I wasn't the only one. You know, when you you're mm. down here and you're being told, uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm just out of town. I'm only on a you know comparatively small small block uh, compared to to other ones uh, are around me. Uh, just a couple of acres, um, but the idea of being told that we had this five kilometre. Uh, radius in which Mm -hmm. we could only move and all those restrictions and you're thinking i'm literally standing out here watching freaking rabbits try and attack my vegetable garden and i can't even spit on my neighbor and you're telling me that i've got to be got to be masked up and kept inside so that's that's probably a rant i could get onto another another time but uh the question was the declaration of regional versus versus metro and it is becoming an issue down here. I hope it becomes more of uh, an issue. Uh, but it does affect uh, the attention of the government. It does affect where the, the money goes. And from just a designation point of view, it's, as you said, uh, you see someone like Andrew's targeting where he knows the votes are because it's, it's easier to target a concentration of people Than what it is to uh, spread your energy over a larger area, such as where you are.
1: Yeah, and look, I'm not a big enough fool to understand that. Like this, we we can't. It's pointless spending certain money in regional Victoria. It doesn't benefit enough of the population. I'm not a big enough deal to to expect that or think that. Um, however, if you look at the stats per head of population, we're well behind. And my electorate, in particular, is, um, is has been very poorly funded. But I will point out that I think that was shared by the previous Liberal government as well, including Napthine, who was um, our local member. You know, I don't, think, hmm. I'm not specifically blaming Labor for that, but it, it is probably um, I use to describe that's one of the my motivating forces for being interested in politics in the first place. Um, I mean, I'm, I think as much as this is currently getting fought on credibility, I, I personally think the Suburban Rail Link sh- should be right at the top of the tree. For Like, mm. we're divided on whether that's good infrastructure or not. Um, yes, yes, every type of mass public transport's good, right? It, it, no matter what you, you build, it's going to have some benefit. Uh, yep. That's more environmentally friendly, takes cars off the road and helps people move about for their work. But it is the biggest bit of infrastructure we're ever going to, oh, sorry, we've contemplated thus far in Victoria's mm. history. Mm. Um, it's not been run past any particular business bodies as to uh, get a dollar value for return on investment. Yep. Um, and Um, The way I look at the SRL, and I'm firmly anti it at this time, Mm. is, um, and I know it's Andrew's legacy piece of infrastructure, but um, I've got concerns that if we're committing anywhere between, look, let's face it, the $35 billion that Labor said will get absolutely blown out of the water. The parliamentary budget office um, has uh, costed it way past that. Admittedly, their costings came in with uh, infrastructure replacement or upgrades and operational costs. But I was checking them yesterday. They've costed that project of what just the actual infrastructure of around eighty-three billion dollars, which mm. is you know a metric of what about two point two times what the current Labor government's telling us that's going to cost. Um, yep.
0: Which which shouldn't shouldn't really surprise us. I mean, you, you can you can virtually you can virtually say any initial figures re- released without even paying for it to go through the, the the bureaucrats. You can just say no, that's going to be cost twice as much and take at, le- at least uh, at least twice as long. Well, you know, just well, I, I, <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't matter whether it's labor or liberal, but yeah.
1: Well, I hope it's not twice as long because completion no. date for the whole thing's about twenty fifty four. So. Then it pushes yeah. back to twenty eighty-six, which would be most disconcerting. <laughs>
0: um
1: but the the reality is with, with that, like it, it's it's an enormous piece of infrastructure. It's got well, I've got concerns about the fact that um from politically they're starting it in the east over the west. They're like yep. we're looking at a possible backlash from oh, palace seat in and uh, the mountain areas um mm. whether that comes through or not you know we'll have to wait a week but I've asked the question a number of times at least on the sub as to why that's being started in the east over the west uh the west is screaming out for you know extra train lines and uh, extra yep. infrastructure investment uh, and i I don't know why why it's starting in the east. Um particularly and this uh, about two or three months ago they tried to claim that the the s r l is the airport rail link and incorporates the airport rail link which which I found kind of mm. uh yeah if if it incorporates the airport rail link and this is part of it, that's the airport rail link we've been waiting for fifty years. Oh, there' was no hey. way yep. should yep. there's no way we should start digging at Cheltenham like we should be starting to dig where we can uh Open that airport rail link up the quickest because it's the most important part of, and it's one that everyone agrees on. You know that we've oh, been look, waiting I, for a period was, of time. I was,
0: I was just up in, I was just up in Sydney because uh, I've got, I've got my family up there, um, yeah, parents and sister. And uh, whilst I was lucky enough to get picked up by by dad at the the airport in the afternoon, I said, look, I'll just go and catch the uh, catch the ferry over and then catch the the train into the airport. It was so quick, it was so easy, it was so straightforward to the point where I thought, "Eh, well, it's going to change my opinion as to whether I even bother um, getting a lift out to the airport or driving out to the airport in, in future over there. I had tried it initially many years ago when it first came in and it was, uh, I suppose it was in teething, but now it it's just another stop on the, well, the it, train.
1: It's funny because it, an airport rail link is something that multiple governments have both sides, all, all persuasions have agreed with need forever and a day. Yep. And and so when they claimed that this was the airport railing, it took me by surprise. Well, let's build it there. Let's start there. Um, I, I think they're starting in the eastern suburbs because, I mean, historically in Victoria elections, the Frankston line used to be the bellwether seats. If you, you won yep. the Frankston line, you win the election. Um, I, I think there's no doubt that the eastern suburbs get a better run than the western suburbs in Melbourne, the newer suburbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is part of how I feel about um, Melbourne's population's meant to get to 9 million people. I've told a few of the users on the sub, H- have fun with that, and the Airport Rail Link will not solve your problems with that. We've been building enormous big uh, suburbs, and have been for 20, 30 years out west, that are horribly serviced and um, c- c- creating, Well, I don't know how to use the word slums, but by... But it saddens me how the direction of the city's going in in that respect. Oh, there's and, no, there's and... no
0: doubt about it. That uh, that decision on where to uh, put transport and infrastructure has a, a a visible and measurable effect on the the surrounds. Because if you don't have public transport, you're limited to where you can walk to and what you might be in. And, and if you can even afford a car, and you know we've, there's there's a whole set of other issues with regards to uh, to fuel prices, etc., that that impact on that. But it definitely does have an impact. And look, for, for me again, uh, I don't make any secret that I'm not particularly a fan of of government at all. I probably lean towards the libertarian. Uh, that's that's the label that gets put on me, so that's just the easiest one to to go to go with. But if there's a Government program that I think is in my list of things going to get nuked last. It's going to be building infrastructure such as such as public transport. Now, I don't have to agree with how poorly they manage it, but I do agree with it's it's a it's a basic uh, service that increases the freedom of people and allows people the ability to uh, experience the city as as an entirety. That uh, I I think that would be one of the last things to go. If in in my in my ideal uh, view of the the world, it's it's just so important, and I think for both sides not to give that uh, that credence to it, it, it boggles me.
1: So 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 um, you're pro SRL then? The suburban uh, run? Look,
0: I I. This this is what you know. This is going to be this is going to be a a, a, a qualified. I'm pro the principle. Uh, yeah, pro- how how it's <laughs> how it's being implemented, the cost and everything. Uh, I, I'm, I'm I definitely am am not in favour of, but in terms of a principle and what I would expect a, a government to do to their people, I support that as a principle.
1: Look, and I'd agree wholeheartedly with you. This is why initially I I gave the qualifier that, you know, any investment in public transport, you know, on the face value is good investment. But, I mean, we do have a debt concern. Um, We've apparently got New South Wales, Queensland and Tassie covered with total debt and we're about to launch into... And not just the SRL. Like, let's face it, this election, thirty billion dollars worth of promises between all the the main parties. This election, so yeah. it's been it's been a hilarious. It's like a Turkish rug sale. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I know every election's like that, but it's really felt like a, a, a an auction to me. Um, you know, we've yeah. had, um, what guy came out and announced was it five dollar rail fares for Metro Melbourne or two dollars or something like it was a flat a flat fee wasn't it?
0: Don't uh, remember then, the don't remember the cost.
1: Oh yeah. And then um which which actually in all honesty I a hundred percent support and thought um even if it cost the me and regional Victoria money for people to pop on the train cheap in Melbourne. It's money I'm happy to pay. Yep. Um, but then then if Andrew's announced really cheap regional regional rail fares, like about nine dollars. It just seems to be that as soon as one says one thing, someone's gotta come out with a response the next day. And I'm just wondering how much thought they're putting into it, right?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Look, it it does it, it does make you wonder. I, look, what we've got a we've got a couple of other topics after the the Victorian elections. We do like to, uh, but I I also want to get your I just want to get a, a quick opinion on uh, from you on on Glenn Drury. And also, too, oh. when we get on, get on to get on the other topics, will uh, uh Ender, will come in here and join us. But we also like to uh, give a bit of a read out the the comments from people in the chat. We've got the you ever familiar G'day Apricot Bar. Uh, we've got from Apricot for the Victorians. <laughs> This amused me. Uh which leader who's currently the subject of an IBAC commission will you be voting for? So I, I did enjoy that question. I thought we did get a comment back uh a bit, so I Said Andrews has been asked to give evidence But he's not under investigation himself Guy is personally under investigation Okay, uh, so I had also, yeah. hope you're pronouncing it Bepiseo. Uh Dan Andrews has a 70% Approval rating right now That sounds higher than I thought But we'll, we'll go with that Ender, who will be uh Joining us shortly on the comments and is currently listening in. Uh, The amount of money Vic Labour has spent on attacking the Greens and Liberals on social media when they are on track for an electoral win is baffling. That's union member Jews being pissed away on ugly politics, especially on green smears. Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's. Yeah,
1: I don't disagree with that at at all. Um, You touched on Glenn Jury. and, yeah, and yeah. Let's, happens, let's let's
0: let's okay. let's let's get like, on get on get on to Glen Drury. Like, uh, then we'll we'll move on to our next topics after this.
1: Uh, I put a post on the sub that I find Drury bizarre. Like taken at its simplest, you could buy your way into Victorian Parliament for fifty five thousand dollars. Oh like,
0: yeah.
1: I, I mean, <laughs> the, the, we could all discuss the you know how long he's been doing it for it, who's better to, from it. I mean, I thought there was some suggestion early on that Pat, uh, Fiona Patton had benefited from it in her first election. And then she was out in the paper the other day, you know, strongly denouncing it. But, but t- leaving aside everything, the simple version of that is you can buy your way to the Victorian Parliament. And yep. I don't know how that doesn't absolutely appall everyone. Yet there's been a lot of commentary on the sub this week and I've been hopping right into it there's, there's people borderline defending this in, in uh, look,
0: Victoria. I'm, I'm, I'm with you I'm bo- it, I it boggles me that it's it's just so blatant and look I think <laughs> I, I think it's probably I, uh, the, the thing is too uh, Drury's so open and out with this but to think that there's not other preference ri- whisperers in the in other states I think would also be a bit naive uh, they're just not as blatant yeah, as what Drury's being. Yeah,
1: but don't the GVTs allow it to have a, a much greater impact on the, the, the actual makeup of the parliament? Look,
0: you're you're you're, com- you're completely correct. The the uh, the group voting tickets down here uh, do change it fund do change it fundamentally. That's a, that's a fair point. Mm.
1: Well, the, the WA was just the last ones to get rid of it, and we're leaving us sorry last. And they managed to have daylight savings party get in with less than hundred votes. You know what I mean? Like it is it, yep. a it's a consequence of the group voting tickets. And but what what, what annoys me about it or appalls me about it actually because I I think it's a disgraceful. Like Andy Medic is in there. He's from the Animal Justice Party. I didn't know this, but he's the CFM EU plant basically, the one they've bought. Um right. And we have a uh, you know, cross bench that Andrews has to work with currently. The pandemic legislation is a good good example of... So so in in this state, not only does your 55 grand buy you your seat, but it can buy you a significant chunk of power as well. Yep. It's not like like you're a nothing vote.
0: Yeah, look, 55 grand is is, is nothing. You know, pocket change for what...
1: (laughs) It is. I, I don't know. Everything... Everything on this, um, you know, like I've, I've been quite frustrated by the commentary on this. Everything in Victoria seems to be defensible in one way or another. And I don't know how people could go into bat um, suggesting that this was, I find it, Labor's in power. They should have tried to do something about it. Interestingly enough, people are correct that the, the Liberal Party had not publicly denounced it. Guy's jumped all over it now. He thinks it's a, a possible late election winner. The last yep. couple of days, you saying you'd get rid of them. Well, I mean, that's just piss politics, really, isn't it? Like, they should have turned their mind to this ages ago. If they don't benefit from it. They should have yeah. denounced it ages ago.
0: Look, that's right. But look, what we might do is, is move from um, the... <laughs> Yeah, a few people mistreating a whole lot of people in the state, and let's actually move to an entire country mistreating uh, a group of people, and that's our next topic, which is Australia being grilled by the UN over its treatment of people in detention. There was an ABC news story by Catherine Gregory, and this will uh, set it up for people listening in. Australia's facing questions about the youth and immigration detention. Indigenous incarceration and Aboriginal deaths in custody. A UN committee member described the over-representation of Aboriginal people in detention as horrific. They also noted the detrimental impact of immigration detention on asylum seekers. And this all came following the UN accusing Australia of breaching its human rights obligations after UN inspectors cancelled a tour of uh, Defence detention facilities due to a lap, lack of cooperation. Uh, Ender, I wouldn't wouldn't mind getting you starting off with you and getting your uh, opinion on uh, Australia, the UN, and its treatment of people in detention.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for the welcome. Um, I don't think there's much we can do to hide behind any sort of vague justification the report is pretty damning um for a bit of Mm. wider context the united nations um does these sorts of reviews on countries frequently so it's not australia being picked on Um, i've seen some criticisms about how um especially because the human rights committee is stacked with uh, human rights offenders that this is you know political but i mean they, they have gone after countries like china before it's not i don't think it's a political gesture i think we know that that australia has issues with um quality of life in detention with immigration detention i have some familiarity with it having worked for the immigration department a long time ago um certainly back then the notion of immigration detention was a deterrent and we we had pretty credible intelligence. It was a deterrent, but mm. I had left before the Pacific solution was dismantled. So I have no idea what the conditions are like now, but I think there's a, there's a need to make sure that the conditions are still humane, even if the intent is to, um, to really disincentivize non lawful arrivals by boat. Um, but the, the question of indigenous descent culture and, and youth detention, I mean, we've seen some indefensibly shocking footage of the way in which first Australians and and, um especially under 18 first Australians are treated in detention we have this commentary in the ABC article about spit hoods and and there's no real suggestion that they're effective at um preventing risk of transmission of infection infectious diseases through um stopping detainees from spitting on guards and the like so I I think there's a lot we need to look at quite frankly and say we can do better on um in order to to blunt any criticisms that might be directed against us in the future and also to make sure we actually have a moral authority if we are going to lecture other countries on human rights.
0: Yep, yep, I'd, I'd agree. What about you, Danger? What's your opinion?
2: Oh, can of worms here. I've come
1: across... There's two completely separate things here, in my opinion. Um, you know, offshore detention. And I note that... Uh, hello, Ender. by the way... Um, I, I note that India supports, or uh, tends like, support the need for to stop the people smuggling trade. So personally, I, I've supported Operation Sovereign Borders from the start. Um, I think we've got the stage where well, I think we've only got two hundred people left in on Manus Island, and Is, it, is it, it's a quite a low number,
0: I think. I, I know it's yeah. low.
2: But... It is a low number, yeah. And, and yeah. sort of just to expand on that dangerment, I, I, I was in division called international cooperation branch, which was all about capacity building and uh, cooperation with counterpart agencies in the region. So Asia was my, my playground effectively, my, my remit. Um, And so a lot of the time what we did back in the day, and I, you know, I left in 2008 was we set up countries to better manage our own borders and to make people smuggling a regional issue because the, the horror stories that come with people arriving by boat, um, and being put into indentured servitude effectively to pay for it. They're there we, there were teams that were rotated out of their jobs after two or three months because the psychological impact in um, the compliance function was so high of you know, these um, effectively sweatshop brothels and the like. Yeah, I mean, there is no upside to allowing arrivals by boats of people who are, economic migrants the the main change in that though is that i don't know the extent to which the arab spring in particular and then the rise of islamic state created a a world in which those unlawful arrival pathways were used by legitimate refugees because the conversion rate from offshore detention to refugee status has been higher than it was historically so i definitely support strong policies against illegal migration but i think um when we started to see more and more asylum seekers being or people being granted asylum through that process we've probably got to conclude that um it's a bit of uh, the policy needs to scale up and adapt to it and even if you are going to create a strong deterrent solution it still needs to be humane because it's part of what i guess the philosophical offering of the west is relative to Mm. the the so-called south of the developing world is that human rights are protected the rule of law is impartial and, and um, applied equally regardless of, of who the, the receiving entity of that law is. So, yeah, sorry, just to clarify a position there. Yeah, that's
1: interesting. And, and obviously, with that little spiel, I'm way out of my depth here, so I have to be very, very careful. It does surprise me that you say that we, we, the Arab Spring, I mean, historically, our boat arrivals, I thought we were getting a lot from Sri Lanka stuff. I didn't know we were getting much Middle East arrival um, or attempted arrivals, were we?
2: Yeah, significant numbers. Yeah. Um, particularly Afghanistan back in the 2000s. Um, But, yeah, you get a lot from um, Syria and the Lebanon, um, Iraq in particular. And Iraq, you would often get either boat arrivals or you would get – and, again, i got to stress, this is – I was there 2006 to 2008. You get a lot of plane arrivals into um, Melbourne, ironically enough. Uh, but with a lot of facilitation through Greek Orthodox communities. So um, I did courses on sort of detecting passport frauds, you know, and figuring out how people stitch and unstitch a passport to change a person's identity. Um, Pre chip, obviously, but it was there were, because there's a large Greek diaspora in, in Melbourne, there was a lot of coordination to help them get across. So, yeah, definitely a, a very large contingent of um, of refugees
1: oh, from the Middle East. Uh, yeah. In all honesty, you should be given more time to talk about that at some stage. I'm fascinated by it. I knew parts of uh, Southern Europe were having troubles with, uh, you know, I think Poland at one stage was really struggling with the, the amount of people that was getting in from Afghanistan. Uh, it's not a, that's not a problem that we suffer alone, like, by any means. I think two million went into the States last year. Um, but it's just, you know, that's, I find that fascinating. I didn't realise we were getting so much Middle Eastern. Can I say just one thing with with the Middle Eastern immigration? I I, I can understand sometimes. I mean, then once if you're getting Afghan refugees or Iraqi refugees, then to to a lot of people, then they start to get doubly concerned because they're concerned about. um, uh, Oh God, I might even get trouble for saying this. Um, Can I just hint heavily? They. the, the yeah, check, start start start
0: off that way might be best
1: yeah the i think I think the background checking needs to be um uh, you know really high in in that uh, situation uh we I mean... delay and now I'm not talking about it should be causing years of delay, but um yeah certainly
2: sort of one of the big issues with <clears throat> background checks for people who have come in through um Non visa granted migration status, so people haven't got a skilled migration visa and whatnot. A large portion of the trade that brings them here—the term we used to use internally was "snakeheads" because that's what their their very specific group was called out of China. And it sort of took off from there. Um, is that arrivals were conditioned to not give answers to questions because if you can establish backgrounds, then you can establish um, identity of of an individual through embassy. You're working with embassies and the like so that the, the background checks are actually made more complicated by the fact that it's <clears throat> the assumption is that if you there's a rule that if you can't um, guarantee that a person won't be persecuted on return the non-refoulement rule then you cannot repatriate them to a country and so the background checks were not necessarily that these people were in any way shape or form um security risks and in fact most of the security risks in australia tend to be homegrown right-wing extremists it's more that the process to get entry is best served by controlling the amount of information that you hand to um i was going to say immigration but guess home affairs so i I don't think the background checks piece is necessarily a, a issue of people who have um posed security risks or have views that are incompatible it's more a question of um a process that's does and i think if we ever get Mm. this topic more broadly the the entire refugee framework globally was designed for a much smaller world following the second world war Mm. there's there's arguments it's no longer fit for purpose um and the massive migration to europe sort of demonstrated that because germany ended up taking a million refugees that it can't provide jobs for long term and so that creates radicalization risk um so there's Uh, there's got to be a hard reset on that Uh, yeah, yeah
1: cause I, I probably should have... I, I, I fumbled my words there because I was really trying to be quite cautious about it, but I was probably talking more about perceptions um, rather than reality. To, to me, someone fleeing Afghanistan or Iraq probably um, would have a very low chance of being a security risk because they're getting out of the joint. Do you know what I mean? And I completely understand what you talk about homegrown uh, versus... Uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm talking... Look, there was this, an issue in uh, with the return of the um, the ISIS brides who are coming back to Victoria location unknown. Mm. Well, I'm trying to um, explain how um, certain segments of the the population view that, uh, and you know there is a bit of a more of a concern for a vast swathe of the population, um, our right wingers, so to speak, if you want to call them something as simple as that. Particularly post nine eleven about Islamic terrorism, and so um, some people would get more concerned about someone trying to enter from one location rather than another.
2: <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, think yeah. I, I think I think follow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Look, I think that's a I think that's a fair enough a fair enough point that uh, whether whether, that whether people like. Yeah, they are going to get
1: right concerned. them to do it or not. I'm just saying it is a reality for, for certain people. But I, uh, I think that goes good.
2: to the humane the humane point as well, right? That that we mm. do have to do a lot to ensure that the the the, the othering that we do and the the idea that um, there are these insurmountable gaps. Col- cultures are obviously very different, and some sets of values are very um, confronting to be encountered with. Like I've i've lived in enough countries to sort of see that there's no normative values across the globe but i think because we've had language of division for so long we highlight the differences as a either a downside or as a a risk and um i think with things like the isis brides i mean they made some questionably uh foolish decisions and you know everyone i think people do in their youth but i, th- yeah. I think the the upsides to to a more tolerant approach to this far outweigh any downsides to it so um and i appreciate that's not what you're you're not arguing for the downsides um danger you make well, it's, not, out. it's, not, a, it's yeah. not a
1: topic i'm particularly passionate about what does interest me is you dropped in the middle of there that some of these people are um are told to to give the authorities little or no information so background checks are very hard to do is that, is, is that what you were saying a simple version of it,
2: it? a long time ago, yes. Um, but again, that was a world in which these were predominantly economic migrants, not refugees. Uh, and so the, the refusal to cooperate was, um, so one of the first things when a boat's intercepted is, uh, when you get on a boat, passports and indicia are put into a weighted bag. And so if you are intercepted by a, a customs or a Navy vessel, that bag is dumped and that means that anything that can ID a person can, cannot be you know, found on them or on the, on the boat. And so um, normally the process when a, a person is um, claiming asylum, you have to validate the the claim itself. So you've got to determine, does this person have a reasonable risk of persecution politically or otherwise if they return home? So the fact they might have been, you know, <laughs> embezzling people and then fled the country doesn't quite work in their favor. But if their, their religious identity or their political identity or whatnot is grounds for persecution, then you're not allowed to repatriate them. So if you're not in that category where you are persecuted, but you are trying to start a better life, but you can't either demonstrate the skills to get a visa or afford to get a plane ticket to get here, then you're going usually on a a kind of debt system on a boat and you're dumping your your documents on the hope that if you do end up in detention, they can't prove that who you are, what country you come from, what risk you have. Then they can't repatriate you. It's kind of a gamble that the system will work in your favour if you stay silent. But yeah, I, okay. I, again, I should caveat that that this was common enough practice in in offshore and um the IDCS has probably spent the most time with in, in Australia was at Villawood. So it's common enough practice then. But the the rise of Islamic State and the massive disruption to the Middle East that we saw in that really four year period, the Arab Spring, um, yeah, so two years before and after that period completely changed the geopolitical landscape so my information is not only historical but potentially horrifically out of date as well so um i don't you know i'm not on the in anymore i'm not i'm not cleared i don't have a security clearance anymore i don't know the actual facts of what happened today it could be very very different it could be the same
0: still it's an interesting insight into what was happening and the other the other point that you you made there which i think is Aside from everything else, and a, a fundamental point is that of compassion and what sort of country we want to we want to be. I mean, we had we had a comment here which is sort of tangentially related that from from Enoch Isaac, who says, "When the West has abused Africa and Middle East, expect refugees or pay up the trillions we owe these places." And that comes down to that sense of of justice and responsibility. And part of that for me is compassion. You can put up the the barriers that you need to. You can go through the processes you want. But once we have people here, uh, I think there is an obligation to treat them with compassion, treat them as as humans, if that's the image we want for our, our country. And I think the two things are actually separate things. And I feel like they get conflated for, for political reasons. And I think that was part of uh, something that was highlighted by this, uh, this this UN inspection. Well, it ended up being a non-inspection, and that was internationally. Australia has been shown not to have a um, not to be a compassionate country. I think that's a strong negative.
1: Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I, well, I did start back. Uh, Quite a few minutes ago, I find that a different um, topic to uh, the incarceration rates, particularly of Aboriginal people and children. Um, yep. So I know they must have appeared in the one report. I'm not familiar with that report. I will. Um, but
0: um, yeah, look, my understanding that there... basically it was it was looking at uh, it, it was looking at how we treated uh, people in detention, and yep. you know, cor- correct me if uh, I'm uh, wrong on that. end gonna... up, but It was yeah.
1: Are we, yeah, ten, are, we, are, we back, are we back in the 1990s here? Like, seriously, we, we've already had the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody 30 years ago. Um, and then We yeah, exactly. are still discussing it, like, honestly. Um, I, I mean, think that's what the...
2: people mean by systemic failure and systemic yeah, yeah discrimination. Yeah. Well,
1: mind you, like, that, that commission did fight it. It's the incarceration rates uh, that are the, the concern. Um, I'm not the Aboriginal deaths in custody correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, not no higher than um non-aboriginal death in custody rates. There's incarceration rates that that leads to the higher number of Aboriginal deaths in custody did, did either you want to correct me on
0: that? look my understand and will probably be a bit more up on this, but my understanding was that uh, you were correct that the uh, per capita, the incarceration rates were were much higher, and then you start to get into skewing of statistics and how you in how you interpret it.
1: okay, but if you, if you if you're going to solve a problem which we tried to solve thirty years ago, you have to start by being honest with what the problem is, right? yep. Yep. In, in my opinion, right, and and like I've got to be, um, now I can't I can't tell you my working life completely, but, um, you no, know I'm familiar with I'm familiar with the court processes, and um, you know, some parts of some parts of this, and um, the successive government, state, and federal have made efforts to avoid. The, the um, high curi, oh, sorry, Aboriginal uh, Indigenous incarceration. Mm. Um, but but I think you need to be honest with with the problem if you want to find a solution. And um, I, I when they use the expression Aboriginal deaths in custody, the the biggest problem there is Aboriginal incarceration rates. Mm. Let's look well, I think at them, that, that's, what we can that's part of the
2: argument. That is yeah. part of the argument here, Dangerment. So it's a, it's a combination of both the higher rates of incarceration, but also the way in which tr- people who are in the system are abused by, um, in particular, security or, or sort of um, correctional staff. And so yeah. the issue is that um, if you have due process in a, in a functioning legal system, then... People are put into prison for the purposes of rehabilitation. So, guards beating the shit of a sixteen-year-old has no place in that framework. It only institutionalizes and radicalizes a person further, and therefore creates a greater risk that that person will stay in the system longer term because Mm. they do not expect that there's any justice to be had for them. They're kind of the, the way they're treated is such that they are continually pushed out of the system and then punished for being outside the system. And I think you're right that we need to look at the, the root cause issue of that and, and and that means we need to have a very tough conversation with ourselves mm. about what's led to it and and part of that is we also need to put aside the kind of paternalism of of what people refer to euphemistically as white guilt it's not about making us feel better about the way in which we treat first australians in particular with custodial arrangements it's about making sure that the best possible outcomes are achieved and so our feelings almost don't matter as much as it does the the community that's affected so i think for this one australia's got to cop it on the chin um like i said countries like china who are un security council members therefore hold implicit power of veto they've also been subject to reports in which the same sort of things happen you know we've been here five six times you're not making any improvements there's there's a bigger conversation about whether or not people want to make improvements but definitely on this one we've got to cop it
0: and look, you're quite right there. There's there is a bigger conversation, and we did have a couple of other topics, but I let this uh, go a bit long because it's interesting to get those extra extra details. And as you, as you said, there at the end, there at the end, Ender, it's uh, it's a, a much larger one. So look, maybe this might be something that we uh, it won't be the last time we hear of it. Maybe this might be something that we can get into in future detail uh in a, in another episode of talking ozpol but look we've hit the end of end of our hour i really want to thank you for uh joining us to today danger and uh thank you to ender and thanks for that that information and look thanks to everybody who uh who joined us and asked questions we appreciate that sort of uh, interaction and Thank you for joining us on the here on this Sunday morning. We'll be with you next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock Australian Eastern Daylight Time, time and we'll discuss the uh, events and who our new glorious leaders are in Victoria. So thank you, Danger. Thank you, Ender. No we we'll so, see dude. you around Thanks the sun. All
1: right. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
0: No worries. See ya. you. you.